When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Really, Riley? Really, Riley? Really, Riley? Really, Riley? Really, Riley? Really, Riley? <laughs> Are you ready? This is the Really Riley Podcast. Woo! Woo-wee! Happy Monday. Hello, beloveds. Whew, we're here. Um... Welcome back to Really Riley. Um, if you guys are new around here, you are definitely in for, I don't want to call it a treat, but you're in for something. You're in for an emotional ride of feelings that up until this point in the last week, I hadn't shared publicly, nor do I think that I had personally dealt with them myself a lot of old ghosts have come out of the closet for me and talking about them is the same as I've always said about anything in my life I've always said that things for me don't feel real until I talk about them on air or in this case on a podcast behind a mic <clears throat> And this is one avenue that I have stayed relatively quiet about and might seem surprising given what I just said because this was such a huge part of my life. Being part or having been part of the Kane Show. I have barely opened up about any of it before and I always say this, that when tragedies happen to me, I don't like to open up about them really until I'm in a place of healing. And that is what I'm working on, but I am getting there. And I hope this sit down that I did with former co-host as well of the Kane show, Sarah Frazier and Kane's ex-wife, Natasha. <sighs> you guys, I got to keep it real. I'm real nervous about this because I know that some of you guys may not like what you are going to hear. And some of you guys may love what you're going to hear. Um, but as per usual, we're going to keep it real. And I want you to hear this part of my story as a way of you knowing me deeper and understanding my story deeper 
but also just as a thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with me in my little corner of the world and giving me the courage and the hope that this space has given me. Not just this podcast you're about to hear, but over the past year and some change since I thought my world was over. Man, but it wasn't. And in this healing therapy session podcast, I don't really know what you want to call it because I don't want to make light of it, but in this very special bit of audio you are going to hear, I'm able to let go of a lot that has been holding me back. And y'all know me, I don't let anything hold me back. So I hope you will listen with a empathetic ear and take from it what you will. And I hope that me keeping it still very, very real inspires you in some sort of way or heals you in some sort of way or makes you feel less alone in some sort of way. But we've before we get to the meat of it, I want to say a very, very, very big thank you, thank you, thank you to Sarah and Natasha for helping me tell this story in such a gracious way and for them being women that did not have to open their ears to me, but did. And I'm really grateful. I love you, beloveds. Here it is. Well, um, this is going to be a very emotional show, a great show, a super open show. I don't know if I even thought this would ever happen, but today we have Riley Couture here. Natasha Alisa is back. Um, And I'm just going to do a brief intro and then, you know, we're just going to the three of us are going to have an open conversation. But Riley Couture, you know her. She has spent over 15 years in radio and most famously on The Kane Show and Your Morning Show in Washington, D.C., which was syndicated in Baltimore and markets beyond. Riley Couture has been in Tampa, Florida. She's been in Grand Rapids, Michigan. My husband's from outside Detroit. I love a Michigan woman who who knows the mitten, Uh, Memphis and beyond. Um, And today she's here to share her radio story. You guys all know the amazing Natasha Alisa, who is uh, has a, her own amazing brand, and you can follow her, Ms. Pink Monster, and then has been on the Sarah Fraser Show, told her radio story and of her former marriage with Kane. Okay, Riley, so how did we all, how did the three of us all connect? How did we get together? Um, <laughs> this is insane. So this was, I guess, like it started kind of rolling with me, and this is like, I've talked to you guys both separately before, but I came to a space of like, shedding the idea of judging books by other people's covers in a sense of like, I was going through a space of kind of like depression and then epiphany at the same time, like dealing with a lot of old demons and stuff like that. And being like, you know, who would understand this more than these two women that in separate entities have been through the walk that I'm walking in a sense. And it started with you, Sarah, and I was just like, I just 
don't know why, but I felt so compelled to like, just have a conversation with you because I had never spoke to you before, not on Instagram, not in person, not anything. And obviously there were so many things like in the past by a gamut of different, you know, avenues that were said and all this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, I've never, ever been a person to tell, let anybody tell me how to think ever in my life. So why the flip am I doing it now? So I just reached out to you and I was like, do I want to DM her? And I was like, screw it. I'm going to do it. And then we ended up having the most lovely conversation. And you were so helpful with like, because you are essentially in the space I'd like to be. You know, you started something in terms of podcasting when nobody was freaking doing it. And I really was just kind of lost. And also just wanting to never again let anybody else's opinion shape who I think of anybody. That's been very important to me, like cleansing all of the negative energy. And Mm. with Natasha, like I knew it, Natasha, I don't want to say how many years ago. How many is this now? 20. Oh, God, like 20 plus years ago that we both worked at FLZ in Tampa. Yeah, you guys, because tell tell that story, because you two actually were connected. I'm just getting to know you, Riley. I knew I knew that you had taken the job on the Kane show. I, mm-hmm. I didn't really know your past that you guys were all kind of connected through FLZ because I started on the Kane show after you'd taken the Grand Rapids gig. So I yeah. never met you with the FLZ years. So how did yeah. you and Natasha know each other and Kane? So that period of my life was probably the one of the most special I've ever had. Like mm-hmm. I didn't go to really college. I didn't have that old thing, but that was like my college experience. And like, that was a very different time for I would say everybody involved. We were all young and we were all hopeful and driven and happy and before real life settled in. And I was just a little intern, but I like basically slept on those damn floors because I became obsessed with radio. The minute minute that bug bit me, it was like the only thing I ever wanted to do. So at the time, Kane was, I think, doing afternoons. He just transitioned from nights to afternoons, like literally five minutes before I got there. And him and Natasha had been together for a while. I really only had like a bird's eye view of Natasha. Like I think I had like two, maybe three in-person interactions with her. One of one, I accosted her to see her engagement ring. A little weirdo (laughs) like that. (laughs) But I only had a few interactions with her where things were always nice. You know, we were all just young kids and I always remember being very aware of when somebody is in a person, a position of power and then they have somebody they're in a relationship with. I always remember wanting to be super like friendly and nice to you because you know, you never want to like be mean to the bosses soon to be wife. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's true. Yeah, that's a good, (laughs) that's a good work tip. Well, especially in this industry, though, it's just like I didn't want to come off as an asshole. And she also never gave me reason to. Um, I will, like, now that we're all grown-ass women and a lifetime's difference, but I'll be totally transparent. I was, like, a little threatened by you. I was. I was a little jealous because I was working. At that point, Was I don't know if I was still working, it was such a great time at FLZ. Like, wasn't you know, that hard like, to take like, a job working yeah. promotions? You do overnights, you'd be an intern for anybody just because you wanted to be there. And then you came on the scene as Peter's intern. And I was like, 
who is this pretty little Latina girl? Like she's coming into my space, but you you weren't like a flirt or anything over it like that, but Peter would flirt with you. Yeah, I mean, I could, should we, oh God, should we get into this story already? Yeah, I mean, just say it. I yeah. feel like we're there. You want to tell the t-shirt story? Should I show it? Oh my gosh, I haven't seen this in 20 something years. I just remember it on your tiny little body with your perky boobs. Okay, and it says Kane has dreams about me. Okay, Kane has dreams about me. This tank it's got top. deodorant all over it too. Oh, and this deodorant stains. Padding, by the way. Padding. <laughs> um, he came in wearing this bedazzled tank top that says Kane has dreams about me so and then I didn't like you as much <laughs> so here's the thing now being a grown-ass woman being married and Latina you handled that way better than I would have been scrappy as shit if that would have been me um <gasps> but so I came in the studio one day and Kane was completely like beat face red and I think it was Jamie one of the other like DJs or whatever and he was like, tell her, tell her. He was completely egging him on. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, because when I was there, I was like there with everyone. And we were like this weird little family. But there was not anything ever like more than that for me. And he was just like, I had a really weird dream about you. And I was like, what? You know, like, I'm like trying to get the logs. I'm just like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? Turns out he had a dream like that about me. And. Jamie, I mean, you should make a shirt. And this is back when you couldn't just order it on Amazon. You had to like go have it ordered from some t-shirt company. Old school and, print shop. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I had it made and I don't remember, like I must not have had, I don't know how I had money for that because I was so poor back then. And I had it made and I took a picture of me and him in it. And it was like this, this funny thing to like mess with him because he always messed with everybody else. But messing with him was harder because he was very quick witted then. And it was just like, to get something on him was like, ha, ha, ha. but it was never more than that. But, but I gander, he made it more than that. Maybe because, I, you know, I don't, I mean, he was very clever about being manipulative without being in your face manipulative. So yeah. I'm sure. And back then I just took the bait every time. So I'm sure he dangled a picture, mentioned it. And I, I remember it. walking into the studio and you were in that corner and you were wearing it. And I was like, is this girl wearing a shirt saying my fiance has dreams about her? Ugh. Yeah. I'm cringing in every part of my soul right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We were idiots. We we're 20-something-year-old idiots. Yeah. Very, like, sexually driven. There was no, like, sexual harassment or watch what you say in radio back then. Oh, my God, no. Anything goes. No. But, yeah. But- and so then... I will tell you this, when Peter started doing mornings up here and decided to take a co-host and like Sarah was the first one that he was going to have a female co-host. And I said, I will never tell you who you can and who you can't work with woman wise. The only thing I ask is that you not hire Raquel. <laughs> Stop. Oh my God. I, I, didn't know that. I was like, that is my only person in all of radio that you can't work with. Well, and Riley of was that tank top. <laughs> well, I was oh, petty, petty, petty. Holy shit. I never knew I that. I made my oh. list. I never told you that. Wow. I mean. And then after we got divorced, the first person he hired. Wow. Miguel. Like, 
Riley, thank you for letting me get that job. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, you're, thank the shirt. Thank the T-shirt. I can tell you there was never anything between Kane and me. I was like a chunky white girl when I started. We we got a lot. We were good friends. and Nat- But believe me, Natasha was never worried. She never worried about me. <laughs> she was I was never worried about any of his co-hosts, to be honest. That was one thing. I worried about a lot of things with him, but him cheating was just not something I, I worried about. Yeah, like I didn't ever because i mean that's the thing is like people don't realize that like i'm a nice human but don't don't fuck around and find out like there was never any inappropriateness in that way because i think he knew better i think he knew that i would have been like "Mm." because i used to call him papa kane which seems weird but i used to call him that because it was like he wasn't a dad to me because that's just strange but he definitely took me under his wing he was a he was definitely I don't want to get, I don't want to start crying already. He, he was a person that like cared about what happened to me and being someone that came up from like a lot of trauma. Like I wasn't super used mm-hmm. to that. And I understood what the weight of someone like that giving you a chance meant. So to me, I had always idolized him in that way. And I was actually only in FLZ for like 10 months and you know he gave me a chance he put me on the air and i'll never forget one time when he came in in the studio and i was doing a break this is like a gwen stefani song and i said something about like uh does her current husband realize she's singing a song about her ex-boyfriend it was like a no doubt song and the next day i came into the studio he'd done that exact same break and i walked in i was like oh but I remember in that moment being like, okay, I feel like I've, I'm about to make it. And I talk about that time as such a special time because of the fact that things obviously became very, very vastly different if you fast forward to the future. But I would be a traitor to everything I have if I didn't say like he did open those doors for me. And that was part of the thing about talking to Natasha when I wanted to open up the conversations because in so many weird forms, we were both like watching each other's lives and, you know, not like crazy or anything, but we were, we both knew what was happening. And I remember just wanting to be real with you, you know, and just be like, look, we never had that moment where we could be like friends or we could really discover who we were. But in good, bad, or indifferent, we were in that bubble of six degrees of separation for the better part of our lives, I guess you could say, kind of. Yeah, and there, and like I told you when we had our heart-to-heart phone call, there are very few people in this world that I can talk with that knew him before and knew him after. Yeah, I mean, it's... I did, you know, before when everything was good. Yeah, and that mentor you're talking about. And I will say there were only a handful of people that Peter took under his wing and just really, truly plucked them out and said, I see something special in this one and I'm going to make sure that they make it. It was you. I told Elizabethany this after he passed. And um, yeah, got to see that good side of him, but then also saw the change over the years. So I mean, like I told you this on the phone when you said that to me and I said, I thanked you for it, you know, but I told my husband later that I 
here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, we know. We know. Because I had so much going on, because there was so much going on when he passed, like I had just given birth, like, you know, like I was like mm. three, two, three months. I was on, no, I was still on maternity leave. And I never like mourned him. I never like got to at first. And then I never like allowed myself to. But I think in a lot of ways I was mourning him before he even died because he wasn't that person anymore. And for you to say that to me was like, that was my funeral for him in a sense of like, mama. okay, like it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, like, that was just my moment that I could, like, it was it was real. There was a person there that really did care, and granted, things became vastly different later. And I'm no stranger to trauma and all of the things, and I'm not naive to the fact that there was also awful things that happened, too, but it's good to know that at one space that wasn't just pretend that wasn't just, was I idolizing a monster my whole life? It wasn't that it's just life very much got to somebody that was once magical like this. Riley, I thought, you know, Natasha and I, had kind of traded some questions and things we wanted to ask you. And a lot of people know you, obviously, from the radio. And then your Really Riley podcast, which which you currently have. But maybe you could go back, because you kind of touched on it a bit. Can you tell us about your childhood? You grew up in Florida, right? Like, yeah. what what was your childhood like? Did you always know you were going to be in radio and broadcasting? How, how did that go? So I grew up in Florida. Um, I had, you know, I have an older sister. There was a lot of trauma in my family. Like, I was one of, like, I had a stepfather that, raised me my real father's uh, was off somewhere you know like I don't really know him um but there was like just there was a lot of turmoil in my house so I was no stranger to crazy things um so when I was growing up I did everything under the sun like I was a ballerina for like 10 years I did gymnastics I did cheerleading I did drama I did all things stage when I got to college I was studying sign language interpretation, which is hilarious, the field that I ended up going into in radio. And I was screwing around. Like, I really wasn't a responsible kid. I was a smart kid. I was a talented kid, but I never tried at anything. And I was in school. My mom, she loves this story, and she'll be so happy I'm telling it again. Latina mom, Natasha, you get this. She came home one day in the middle of the afternoon. I was hungover, sleeping on the couch at 24, 25 years old. You're my daughter. You're better than this. You have one month to get your shit together or get the fuck out. I was like, okay. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do? I don't want to do TV, maybe radio. And I got into this, probably would be very illegal now, but I got into this thing called Broadcasters Training Network that you had to hand them over $5,000 and they gave you an internship. Now, (laughs) my original internship was not with Kane. It was wow. with another person that you all know. And um, oh, can you not say who it was? Because now I'm dying to know who it was. Because I don't remember. It's, was it at the same station? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, okay. Oh. Yeah. That person. Is this uh-huh. the person that got really drunk in my wedding and made an ass out of Probably. everything? Sounds Probably. right. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. 
But I got that internship and then he went literally the week that I was supposed to start to go to a different station. And then they plopped me with Kane, which, hey, here we are now. Mm. But I remember like never trying so hard at anything in my life because I also have ADHD that I didn't find out until two years ago. And the way that it hits me is that if I'm not interested in something, I might be good at it, but I don't try. This was the first thing in my life that I was like, I'm going to do this. I am dying to do this. Like, I slept on the floor. Like, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. I had never wanted anything so much in my entire life. And I remember my mom called the dude from Broadcasters Training Network, and she was, well, she wanted, like, numbers. She's like, is she going to be successful at this? What can, you know, what can we expect? What money can we expect her to make? And this is obviously 20 years ago, but he said to her something that still sticks with me today. And I actually told this story to my son last night because he asked me about my start in radio randomly. And he said, well, Mrs. Mattingly, she'll get out of it what she puts into it. And that clicked with me. And they're like, you know, I don't know about money. I don't know where her goals are, but there's really only about 5% of people that will like make it and like make over six figures, like, especially as a woman, whatever. And I was like, I'm fucking doing this. You know, I, I, I told that story to my son last night, kind of going, okay. You know, like I left the station after getting an opportunity in Michigan, eight months into my intern internship. Cause I, I got, a, soon I got into like promotions and I did all of that stuff. And I remember Kane saying to me, like, hey, you want to do mornings? And I was like, what? Who are you talking to? And he's like, you, do you want to do mornings? And I was like, yeah, what are you talking about? He's like, in Michigan, though. I was like, Florida girl going to Michigan in the middle of winter. Wow. Yeah. So I went there. God bless that man, but he lied. He lied about my abilities because I, you know, obviously I'm a sink or swim type of chick. And maybe he saw that. but I didn't know. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing at that point and I lost that job like eight months in and now why that's... did they do a format flip like did they no. do a format change or or you were just no. so young maybe it wasn't a good fit like how it was actually really good and things were working I got popped and it's funny is that host that I'm still really cool with like hit me up like 10 years later because he was in Atlanta where I was at and told me he was sorry that he thought he could find better because I was green or whatever. But he was like, even after you left, like the girl that he was so sure was going to be it for that show. They're like, mm-hmm. they never connected with her the way that they connected with you in such a short amount of time. So after I left there, I went home for like six months. And I was like, uh-uh, this ain't it. You know, like I had friends being like, why don't you just stay home? I was like, no, this is my thing. So I went to Memphis and got middays which was such a switch from mornings. So then one of my dearest friends, Kennedy Elsley, she and her host Carson were going off. They were expanding their show to a different city. And I went to my boss's office. I was like, this is mine. This job is mine. I want mornings, give it to me. So they paired me with this guy, Maney, and God damn, did we ever lock horns, but we were actually beating Kane at that point because he was syndicated in Memphis at that point. Wow. He, I'd never seen him so mad at me ever <laughs> when I said this to him one time because he was like, oh, yeah, we were in Memphis and you went against me. And I was like, actually, we're beating you. He, that was the only time I'd ever seen like fire in his face that he was just like, but 
that was I, I don't want to say that was like a proud moment because that wasn't it like that's like beating your like hero or whatever but I ended up getting that. yeah I mean I, now I can say that but yeah. then it's a different Riley you know mm-hmm. but I got let go not let go I got moved from that morning show to afternoons and it's crazy how quickly they will just like switch your life around they told me on a Friday that Monday hey you're going to be doing afternoons I'm like what so they put me in afternoons and I was just like, I can't, I can't stay here. And at that time, my engagement, I was engaged twice to the same person mm. and that was breaking up. And that was like the most mentally and physically abusive relationship I've ever been in. So when he left me four months before our wedding date, I said, all right, I'm not, this is my reason. I've been wanting to get out of Memphis for a while. I was not growing. I wasn't happy. I was like, all right, well, so I hit up that same first mentor that I was with at FLZ. And I said, I need help. Get me out of here. He hooked me up with a couple of names in Nashville. And literally like one interview later, I went to that interview and choked on some edamame during my interview because it was spicy edamame. And I was like choking on a chili. Like I've done I thought, I was, thought for sure I was going to bomb this. And I got hired there and was there for a year and one month. And in that time, the second wedding that I had planned to this person broke up mm-hmm. and I was so devastated and just ready to quit radio. And then my boss at the time was like, hey, we want to put you in Atlanta. And I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to, I don't want, what? I don't want to move again. I don't want to do this again. Like I'm done. My heart's broken. I can't. And they're like, no, you, you have to go. So here we go again. I picked up all of my shit and moved to Atlanta. And I was in Atlanta and we were going against the Bird Show, which if anybody doesn't know, that's a big ass show in radio. A big ass show. Huge morning show. Yeah. He's been in he's been on the air for how many years? I mean, he's been syndicated. Time forgot. Like twenty, thirty, thirty something, because I think at the time it was like twenty two years. Yeah. And this was like two thousand fourteen, I think. And we started beating him inside of nine months. Like our show was completely blowing up. It was like this perfect, like myriad of like just a team that like got it. And trust me, we didn't really like me and the host butted heads. Like he was the most, one of the most, because I later met a more jealous one, jealous motherfuckers I'd ever known. But we did really well. We were like having astronomical radio, um, like ratings and then they booted that show out too they took him and my producer and brought in another married morning show team and it was just I knew it from jump that it wasn't going to work and I was voicing my opinion a lot and they ended up moving me to middays which a lot of people don't understand they're like oh you got your own show now it's just you and I'm going nah if they move you to that slot they're not going to pay you the money they were paying you that your contract says one and two, you know, they're like, they're going to get rid of me at some point. So, and I was a single mom of a nine month old boy at that time. Wow. And had you yeah. had your first son with the guy that you were on and off engaged to? No. Okay. Okay. So that broke off. Like that was a very abusive, was like done. toxic. Okay. Done. Okay. Yeah. So you moved to Atlanta, but- you guys finally, you get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. And so you've met somebody new. You're thinking you're going to start this relationship and then you have your son or how did that? 
Yeah, that's the only one thing that I never like ever go there with just oh, for my kid. Sure. But, um, give me 10 years. He's eight now. Yeah. Give me 10 years and I will. <laughs> um, we, we understand. We got it. Um, I was basically a single mom myself, like essentially, like electively. I was just like, okay. And I was like, oh God, what do I do? Like I, you know, that show was killing it. So you finally get to this thing that you think is going to be your Mecca and then it blows up and I'm going, fuck am I going to do? And I remember crying to my mom on the phone and she will never let me live this conversation down to the day I die because she was right. I was crying. What am I going to do? Mom, it's over. Like, I can't believe this is happening to me. She said, well, baby, what if this is the moment that's opening the door for you to be part of the Kane show? Your mom said that? Yep. And Just I, out of nowhere. I screamed at her. I was like, what are you talking about? Why would you say that? You know that's what I've always wanted. That's never going to happen. I was so angry with her for putting that carrot in front of my face. At that point, I got goosebumps. And lo and behold, literally like a month later, there's an opening for the cage show. Wow. I had had a conversation because I, I would periodically wow. call Kane just to say hi or just to, you know, get advice. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And at that time, obviously things had changed a lot. But there was like a lull of like five years that I really didn't talk to him that much. His career had fucking blown up. Like if I thought he was the Mecca then, he was the Mecca now. Like and I'll still say this to this day, like he would have been bigger than anything. Ryan Seacrest, Dick Clark, you name it. He would have surpassed it by light years. They period. had big plans for him. That was they'd always yeah. tell us, you guys are going to replace Elvis Duran. Oh, you're going to yeah. you're going to end up getting the New York market. You're going to, you know, stick with it, stick with it. You know, um, of course, they never would address the root issues. But, yeah. you know, that was always the plan. Yeah. And I mean, for me to be like a part of any of that, I was like, Phew. But I was like, I, this, is ha- this has to be manifested. This has to be it. So I contacted everybody that I knew. Obviously, when I talked to him, he was like planting seeds that I didn't know he was planting at the time. Until he like, because when he heard that my show had blown up, it was like the stars had aligned. Mm-hmm. I did not know that piece of information that Natasha told me earlier. So, but... I went out for it and he was very excited. The reception going there was very earth shattering for me though, because I moved there with, he was literally one month. He was 13 months old. I knew nobody. Like I had, thank God I had my nanny at the time graciously come up and stay with us for a month because she adored lyrics. That was like her, her little baby and I was very, very lost because when I came into it, the situation wasn't what I thought was going to be this family that I had at FLZ. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was different. And so even right at the beginning, you could tell a difference. Yeah, I couldn't pinpoint what it was because it's not like he was mean to me in the beginning. It wasn't that. Riley, wait. Also, Just set the con. What year was this? So 2017. 2017. 2017. Right? Okay. January of 2017. So like the I Kane- started the new year as part of the Kane show. So the Kane show had started like in 2006. 20, 2017, he'd been on 
the station or it's 2007. So he'd been on for a decade. So at that time, like, were you living your own life or had you heard I'd left, Sammy left, Mel left, Danny left, like, you know, John had been brought in. Like, had you followed it or just like you didn't really know any of the details? I didn't know the extent of all things. Like, I had no idea of like, I knew Danny because I had like knew, like lightly knew because I had met her at a radio like uh, back when they used to send us to like go to like um, American Idol and those kind of like summits or whatever. Sure. I met her one time and I actually was like, you were on Bridezilla's because I was so obsessed with that show. I didn't even know her as like Danny from the Kane show. And, you know, we just had a cool conversation and that was really the extent of what I knew of her. I found out later, I was like, oh, like she's part of the Kane show. What's wrong with you? Like that kind of thing. Um, but I didn't know the extent of all of the other turmoil. I only knew after he had gotten arrested that when I saw that I was like what the fuck happened here mm-hmm. and in my head I was like I he's still got to be that same person you know what I mean he's still got to be in there like people fuck up and he was very very convincing I yeah. mean I, until he started showing signs of getting physical with people in the studio, I think it was a lot easier for people that knew him to just believe this is an ugly divorce. She's throwing out allegations like people do in divorces. But I assume that that's easier to believe than could this person that I've known for so long do something like this? I think in a lot of ways in that respect, too, I was the perfect candidate for this. Mm. Because being a person that, you know, I found out later through lots of fucking therapy that you know, I have those daddy issues. Like my real father was a piece of dog shit, beat the shit out of my mother. Like he was out of my life at six. And then my stack and stepfather was no peach either. So, you know, you learn as a woman, whether you want to believe it or not, that you do have those daddy issues. And it's interesting later that I used to jokingly call him Papa Kane because I looked at him as if I was like, he was like a leader to me. Again, I am no fair weather flower that just because I had trauma that I'm like, I don't know and see things that are going on. You know, it's not like I wasn't aware, but I wanted to believe so badly that in it, there would still be that person somewhere. And it's like you can be subconsciously drawn to those personality types without even realizing it. I've always I've made the mistake twice now of not realizing I was being drawn to somebody. I was trying to fill the void that my father left. A hundred percent. And like, you know, you don't want to admit that. It doesn't even have to be sexual. It just, it's like wanting to be taken care of. It's so interesting. We all three have that in common in different ways. Because my father passed away from cancer when I was 14. So, you know, I was always, and Natasha knew me, I dated this guy, old man Ed, who was like, you know, 13 years older. I was always for a long time dating older men until I went to therapy. And it never clicked with me until the therapist said, you know, you're dating a father figure. That's that's what mm-hmm. you're doing. You're trying to fill that void by dating these older men. Um, yeah. And so it ha- so it's funny, we all have that in common. And I'm, I'm even trying to think in my head, did I think of Cain as like a father figure? But I don't, I don't think I did. Cain somebody that, he was so in control yes, and yeah. was going to take care of you. Like you were safe in his presence if you were under his umbrella. Yeah. And 
I could it's see like, how all three of us were drawn Riley, to that. Was it, when I was there, it was always you're with us or you're against us. Was that the motto at all when you got to the cane show and hot? Or did they so, used to say that? Because of the fact that like when very quickly when I started in there, there were fragments of things that were different within that infrastructure before I showed up. Mm. So I think that with us or against us started to kind of taper. And this might have been my downfall, but from fucking jump, I was like, I don't have a knife in this. I am a mom. I am a 36-year-old woman. I, I No. And that was obviously, a you know, a thing, I think, that might have been, I might have been the black sheep for that. For a lot of things because I was like I'm not jumping on bandwagons okay because what you felt like you had a life outside of radio and what like you could tell very quickly that what there were alliances people wanted you to like this person not like that like what was yeah well it's like obviously when I got there and I had realized and done a little bit more research on what had just happened before I got there and you know obviously there was a lot of chitter chatter throughout the years of people And I was just, I am my own person. And people have said this about me throughout the years. I might be a brazen human being. Sometimes I can be a bitch, but you always know where you stand with me. I don't bullshit in any way, shape or form. I'm allergic to it. I can't lie. That's my Achilles heel. I just will not be forced into a box of anyone else's thinking, which is funny because I feel like that's part of the reason why when I was coming into this re- self-discovery that I wanted to speak with you guys. And there was that, I think there's a lot, no, no, mind you, I've been on five, five different morning shows in my career. So there's a lot of that in across the board of that. We're our own little island and we're this little destructive pact when everybody else is scheming their own shit. <laughs> Excuse me. But when I got there, like, there was, in my opinion, a lot of jealousy of I was somebody that was coming in that knew a part of him that everybody else didn't. Mm-hmm. There was, we were very, we had a lot of chemistry together. And chemistry can be like kryptonite for jealousy for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was a situation where they had been a show for whatever many years before me and I was a newbie, but not. And I wasn't willing to go through the gamut of things that like the, like, you know, like what is it like hazing in college? I was like, I'm not going to do that shit. Like I've already been, you know, you want to sit here and be like, well, we've been for whatever many years. I'm like, yeah, okay. I I've known him for this many, which really I didn't in a sense because I knew him yesteryear. And then when I walked into this situation, It was very, like, I was very sad because I was going through my own things that kept me occupied. Like, I was going through court cases with my son that give me 10 years. And I was, that was my main focus. So all the while, so many more things brewing. I wasn't, like, there. But I was there. And I couldn't understand how this person that I had idolized for so long had he come that 
like I don't know if it helps you fill in any pieces or just give a different perspective but you know now that Sarah and I have talked about now that I have all of his belongings I've been able to fill in a lot of the blanks of everything that was happening conversations he was having with certain people and when you came on that 27 2018 time was a time when everybody else was jumping through any hoop they possibly could to please him and losing all sense of a moral compass. They would do anything for him and were doing anything they could like to me behind the scenes. So I could see you coming in and him having like a loving relationship with you, like under his wing and you knew him from before. And these monsters are all breaking their backs, doing like his henchmen work and not getting the reward of a relationship, you know, just trying to please the king. And you were. Again, there's Mm -hmm. that girl that's not going to jump on bandwagons no matter what. Mm hmm. And there were times where I wanted to approach as a voice of reason. <laughs> Sorry. I'm grateful that I didn't mean, I'm not laughing at you. I'm no. laughing at the reaction you would have gotten to being the voice of reason. <laughs> and here's the thing. The reaction that I got, I didn't try this again, but the reaction that I got after that one conversation where I took my toe in the water, it was a mix of, anger and then also like deep hurt because I was a person that he fucking knew idolized him I was a person that he knew from his I hope from his heart to his toenails that I would never say something deliberately just to like I wasn't one of those people I was not a yes person of course I adored him But deep down, when I spoke up to him, I was never like, and it wasn't even a big thing. I was just like, maybe. Was it like a personal thing or a work thing? Yeah. It was, it was a personal thing. Uh, You know, it was about you and. Can you tell me or is it better not said? And by the way, you can tell us, you can tell us everything that they said about us. I, I, I don't know how you feel, Natasha. I don't care. And I think it's important because Every there, why we do these podcasts are there are women, there are men listening to this in yeah. a toxic marriage, in a toxic work environment, dealing with someone with addiction and mental illness, who maybe yeah. this is their wake up call. They hear a story and they go, wait a minute, that's not normal. Because I didn't realize, I worked with Kane for seven years. I, di- I didn't realize there was mental health issues there. I knew he was OCD. But I that didn't. sounds so naive of me. But it- I know. No, I, I got it. Well, but you can, it I'm just saying. I mean, you why can, would you? Say it's, it's, You can say everything about us because I think it's important for people to hear because we're often <laughs> gaslit, right? We're told, you know, Natasha and I, like, you, you know, we didn't speak for a long time. And then there was this level of like, oh, should I should I reach out to her? Is she still aligned with Kane? Danielle and I went through that, you know, and and they told everybody there when I left, I was crazy, you know, and I, I got an email from an intern who was there after I left. And she said, I, I just want you to know that there was a trophy left that they found with your name on it from a golf tournament or something. And Kane wanted to make an example of you. And he took the glass, um, trophy down and he smashed it with a bat until it was broken. And she said, 
I never heard that story. Oh, you didn't? And she I said, they pe- I heard many, but not that one. They always said that you were crazy. You and Sammy were nuts. And after I saw him do that, I knew they were lying. And I mean, I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly how she said it. But, you know, I know the things that were said. And and I'm I don't care. You know, I mean, we know what how toxic that show was in that place is. So I say that to tell people like, yeah, you, you have to do your own research a lot of times when you're hearing yeah. somebody keep painting, oh, this person's crazy, this person's crazy. It's like, are they? Or is mm-hmm. it you? Are you the problem? Yeah. I mean, this particular instance, and granted, I was, like I said, I was new into this. Like, this might have been like a month or two in. And granted, I think I've also kind of blocked out a lot of that era of my life because, like I said, I was going through my own custody stuff and that just consumed everything. And it was something to do with him fighting with you. And I said to him, because I was embarking on what would later be. I literally legally can't go far into that, my part of it, but trust me, I get it. And I had well, said, like, yeah, you get the custody related. Battle. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, maybe you shouldn't do that. And there was always something about Kane. And now that you've said that to me about that, I was someone he really did give a shit about. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of awful things happen with him, but for me, I view it as those were heights of addiction for him because I didn't even know it was that bad until I actually listened to your podcast. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing about us performers. Performing is in our blood. So we could be drunk, high as a kite, whatever, and still be able to keep it somewhat together for those moments. And he did a lot of that. It sucks to say this, but his talent actually went into hiding addiction, I think, or at least in yes. those last years. And I think there was something in him that still took care of me in his own heart, like whatever was left over of him towards the end. But when I hear these stories of things that he has done, because I did see a little, I'm not, I'm not shocked. I'm not, it, it's more sadness to me because this is the biggest message I would want anybody to take from what we're doing right now. Because he was a father, he was a husband, he was a friend, he was a mentor. And when you have these yes people around you all the time and things go south, like I told you guys about this movie before, but that Joker movie with Heath Ledger, like it reminded me so much of him that like someone that was kind and gentle and people just kept jabbing this person that inwardly had those mental health issues that were just kind of waiting to bubble up because what I'm learning through my own self and my own mental health issues with anxiety and depression and all those things, they're kind of like waiting there to bubble, you know, and 
the the entertainment industry is the perfect storm. How many celebrities do we see die young because of that? And there was a moment in him that he had his Jekyll and Hyde moment and he didn't go back. Mm. And I just like... Do you remember like a certain instance when like it flipped for your experience with him or was it a gradual thing? So weird because he would go back and forth like there would be these glimmers of like who he used to be. And that of course for me is like, okay, wait, he's coming back. Okay, it's okay, we can do this. But there was one day, there was one day on air that I have part of a tooth that's fake because my ex-fiance had thrown me through a door and I landed splat on concrete and split and I had like scarred, whatever. He didn't know any of this. But that cap fell out right before we got on the air. And I could feel the pain because like the air was hitting the nerve and I'm just still trying to be the good little soldier. And I remember him like scolding me like, you're not on. I need you to be here. I need you to be here. I was like, bruh, like my nerves exposed right now. And he's like, well, whatever. I need you. I need you to. I need you to be. I need you to be on. And I remember just. I remember being like, "Who the fuck are you?" And there was another time, and I think this was like a year and a half in. That I don't know what he'd gotten into his head, but it was when I started writing, reading The Secret, and all the manifestation things, and I kept writing all these positive things about what you think about, you bring about, and all the things that I talk about now. And he was like, had a sit down with me. And it was like, you need to stop fake booking, da 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 like all these things. I know they're about me. And I was like, I wanted to be so angry, but I remember just stopping him. And you didn't stop him. Like, he was six foot whatever. He was a very big presence in every way. And I remember stopping him and putting my hands on his knees and looking at him. And I go, what are you talking about? I was like, Kane, this is me. This is me you're talking to. Like, what? what's going on? Like, this is me you're talking to. Like, it was almost as if he had, like, looped me into everyone else that had ever, like, hurt him. And I remember just being like, this is me. Like, I wanted to shake him. My little fucking ass, I wouldn't have been able to move him. But he was, I wanted to shake him by the shoulders and be like, where are you right now? And I know that that doesn't seem like the biggest blow up of a moment. But that was when I first started to see that this person that he once was was just gone and for me to have moved my basically my whole life in mirror of what he was for me that was that was a hard time and that damn light is flickering again I don't know if you guys have seen that on my Instagram but every time I talk about him in this manner and I have this fucking ring light on it flickers 
I listened to that podcast of yours before we chatted. I knew you were doing one about him and I listened to it and I remember all that about the ring light and yeah. Gosh, Riley, like the Riley the how- shake, shaking the person being like, it's me. Like, can't, why, where are you? Like, this is me. I, God, it just feels so real. I feel that so much. It's like, I mean, if you think about it, it's taken me a very long time to ever say anything about this because from the deepest part of my being, I cared about that man and hated feeling like I betrayed him in some ways. And I know now, like, through therapy, I did what I had to do. I kept going and did my job. But there were so many times I wish I could. I didn't even know where he lived. I didn't even, I didn't have his address. Like, it wasn't, you know, like, there were times that I wish I could have talked to him. But I don't think in the end, especially knowing what's out there now, that it would have been anything but more traumatic for me. It wouldn't have done anything. But I think he was a person that he got so inundated in this world of yes people that he couldn't recognize when people genuinely gave a fuck about him. And I've always said this, like, I I don't ever, ever try to take someone else's story, experience, trauma from them because you're a piece of garbage if you try to tell somebody that what they lived isn't true. But I am still a person that you really gave a fuck about him. And there's not one day that goes by that I wouldn't give anything to take a lot of that back. Take a lot of what back? I don't think it would have done anything. But I wish there would have been a way I could have stood with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You And basically, you mean, like, talk to him about, because did at any point it resonate for you, like, oh, shit, this guy is really in addiction and mental health, like, and I, I always love when Natasha, we sat down the first time, she always said, and, and I think we all feel this about Peter, right, because we saw all the good things about him and then how he, you know, spiraled. Me too. I always wish like there would been a moment where I was real with him and like because he was so paranoid about, you know, we couldn't hang out with anyone from other radio stations because, you know, he, he once he was number one, I almost feel like once he became number one, it was like the worst thing that ever happened to him because he was obsessed with staying with number one. And we were like far and away the number one morning show in D.C. for years. I mean, nobody was even close. But the paranoia and the then trying to bring down other morning show people. It's like, why are we wasting any time with these fuckers? They don't, they're never going to be where you are. And I always wish I'd said something to him too. Like said something to him, really was clear with management. And one of my favorite things that Nat ever said was she always wished that she'd gone to him with just weapons down, guard down, and just had this vulnerable moment. And it's, it's so hard, right? You, you. I don't even know that it would have changed anything, but I feel like we all, is that what you feel? Do you wish you'd, you'd knew what was going on and you could have really just sat down with him and 
Well, for me, like when I listened to your podcast, actually, and I heard just how fucking bad it was, I felt like such a fucking dumbass because I have had people in my life die of addiction. I'm not stranger to it. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, fuck. Like I could see it and play back and go, oh. Because like I said, there was those moments where like he would just come back. Like I remember one Mm. time I was having a really hard time with all the custody stuff and came in and God, I fucking wish I still had this frame. It was a target frame and it was just this little thing and it said, you got this on it. We got this is my thing. And he didn't say anything. He'd particularly probably been a dick the day before. And he just took it put it over my computer with his big ass hands, his mammoth hands. Huge. It was like this big. It was like, it's yeah. a big guy, yeah. Like as big as my head. And he just <laughs> took it and put it over my computer and didn't say anything. And men, is that like, you know, they're too machismo to like really go into the conversation. But I was like, okay, I see you. Cool. You know, like I wish... That I could have said to him, like, I wish me coming in would have, and maybe in some ways it was, like, look, hey, remember this life you used to have? Remember who you used to be? Remember the people that, like, looked at you like you were this mountain that no one would ever climb? And side note, I wish he would have fucking known that because nobody ever will. Nobody will ever be him. All these little fuckers that thought that they could be after, nobody but I wish he would have taken that and had some joy in it. Mm. Like hearing that because of the fact that I'm always like what you think about, you bring about. And because I talked about Cain throughout my whole life saying that I want to change Cain's someone's life, the way that Cain changed mine, the universe listens to you good, bad, or indifferent. And I fear that maybe had he not passed away, maybe I would have ended up the same way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because when I lost radio and the way that I lost it, it wasn't as bad as him, but there were a lot of those thoughts of like, what the fuck is my life here for? So, I do wish there would have been a way to go to him afterward and just be like, remember who the fuck you are. This isn't the end of you. This is your catapult to your comeback. That is what I wish would have happened. I wish he would have come back and kicked the shit out of us and would have been able to come back and be like, who beat who now? Riley, okay. I mean, I could. There's like ten thousand questions I have for you. Uh, so you, you know, you manifest this job, right? Like that your mom had put out there years before. I'm sure you had a moment of like complete like euphoria. I've, I've like, I've won the lottery. I, I would imagine. I mean, Danielle's talked about this. I've talked about this. I mean, and we'll get to this part. One of the hardest things about leaving is I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, when I left, right? You have this amazing six-figure income. I, I'm assuming they offered that to you. The show 
is probably getting tons of ads, commercials. You're getting all this money. But it wasn't long after you started. It was about a year, right, when they removed him from radio? It, they Ooh, sidelined him? Malin was, it was a few years. Malin if you were 2017. Three. Yeah, because Malin, I had had Malin. Malin's going to be three. So Malin. Because it wasn't until 2020. Two and some change, yeah. Okay, like, so you had two years on air with him. Okay, before they before they removed him from air. So Or three, three years. And yeah. so, you know, during that time, you it was hard for you to see, like, it, it, I mean, were people chattering about his addiction? Like, or was he so good at kind of hiding it at work? You didn't know. So... Okay, look, we he was he was always into his grandma yay. Like when when we were radio raised, like drinking was your business, you know. Like so, we all knew that he was a drinker. But when I hear the amount of shit, I never would have guessed that. Never, really? ever. Like. Wow. So he never seemed because it's funny. Even when I was doing Mix One Hundred Seven Three. Well, it was TC's 107.3 in 2014, 2015. They ended the show. But we would get texts like, is Kane drunk on air? Is Kane drunk on air? I mean, that was then. So I wondered what it was like. I did see a difference in the Kane sparkle, if you will. Mm. Right? The first time that I saw him slip ever, like on air, and I don't mean slip as if like there was this big thing. It was like he was just always this really fucking fast dude. and was like he could plan on a bit, edit traffic, 16 people would be talking to him. He was just like, boom, boom, boom. It was my announcement when they were announcing me as the new co-host. He was just fucking all over the place. He was like, I had my old producer text me afterwards and be like, what the fuck was that? Really? Yeah. You you would have thought that it would have been this big heartfelt thing. We had this history. Now, mind you, I know he was like in this space where he was – trying to play to the audience of like nobody's leaving it's not that da 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 given the history but i remember him just being so fucking off and i was just like yeah what was that like and like and i wasn't naive to the fact that he was he could be an aggressive human when tested like when I first was an intern at FLZ, there was like a night guy that was like saying, talking a bunch of shit about me, saying that I should be doing these things. That as my intern, it wasn't even a job. And he stood up for me. It was like, bruh, da da da. Like, and I, the way that he was like, quip, like, like cut him. Again, being a person of trauma, you can recognize that in people. You search for it and then connect with it like an idiot. But I was not naive to the fact that there was shit going on. I just never would have actually realized it was to the extent of it. Now also think about this from someone that's also used to trauma, Mm. trauma. It might've also been very easy for me to compartmentalize this because this was my life. I'm a single mom. This is how I feed my son. I've moved my whole life here. Then I'm getting married and having another baby. And of course, in my head, there's no life beyond radio. You know, this was my dream. This is what I manifested. This is everything. So now when I look back on it, yeah, there was a lot of things 
that were just not what I knew of him. Because now when I'm literally looking at it and I can still picture that damn nasty ass board at FLZ. <laughs> it was just like, the, I, I used to look at him like a fucking wizard the way he moved that board. And I was like, I was little. I remember one time I went to the studio and cried. And he's like, what's wrong? He was like, I could never do this. I can't be what you are. And he was like, and he wasn't that at the end at all. Um, Riley, what was it like? So, you know, did you hear chattering and rumblings that they were going to remove him from air? Um, I think a year before he was removed, or maybe not even that. I was at the uh, Pride Parade, the famous Pride Parade in D.C., and I was like two cars behind Hot 99.5 in their float. And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to be I'm going to get right in front of them. And the entire time, because I'd started my podcast and, you know, it was a rough start and everything. He's going to be saying Hot 99.5, the number one morning show, fuck podcast. You know, I'm going to be like hearing this the whole thing. Right. And then I witness him berating. I thought at the time it was you, Riley, going off on this person. Get the fuck. And he's on the microphone amped up. Get the fuck off this float, you motherfucking piece of shit. And I thought, oh, my God, nothing's changed. And then all of a sudden I saw him storm off the float and then. I never saw him again appear. Um, So, okay, after that, like, were there rumblings that he was going to be removed? Or did you guys come in one day and they just said, it's over? You guys are going to carry on. Never, ever be removed out of that because of who he was and what he did monetarily. When he got removed, it was, I was fucking flabbergasted i never thought that would have happened however the vein in which he got removed there was no other way but had that one thing not happened let's just say certain people wouldn't be sitting where they're sitting right now and i don't think that there's a whole lot i can say about that incident But when that incident happened, that was like watching an entire superstar die. Uh. Like you think about it in this way of like, there's very few greats that roll into the world, right? People that are just meant for that thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're always like the best and holier than thou people, right? We've all seen celebrities that are pieces of shit. Mm. But there's always that, 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 like, you know, we call it canceled now or whatever. But this was bigger. This would have been. Feeling you can't comment on this, but just from reading his emails and everything that was going on on his end when that around when that happened i walked away with the feeling that he walked into a trap that was set for him because somebody else didn't want to wait any longer to be number one Mm. so the thing about kane that a lot of people don't get on the outside and i get that you'll get this more than i ever would but put this into perspective as an answer. When he thought you were one of the people in his corner and then he realized that you weren't, that fucking hurt him. 
like a little kid. I remember it mm. feeling like, like a little kid. My therapist always asked me like, how old does somebody sound or feel to you when they're doing something that hurts you? Like what age do they feel like? Like, and in that moment, he felt like he was like six, like six years old or maybe like 18 and this first love that just snapped his heart in half. Mm. And being on that moment was like one of the loudest, most silent moments of my life. Because if you think back to that moment of like, hey, this is me, It's crazy how split seconds can change everything. Split seconds can change everything. And. Cause yeah, losing, losing being Kane was too much for him to live with. I mean, that was everything to him. You know, during that time, no one spoke to me, of course, you know, and all that. So it, very difficult, but after that, did you ever speak to Peter? Like, did, did you ever call? Like, cause I, and it's very hard, right? You, you're so mixed up cause you're like witnessing this trauma. You're dealing with your own stuff. You're being told probably, I don't know what you're being told, but you know, I, when I was there, it's you're with us or you're against us. And you know, when I had made the decision to leave, I was against everybody. So nobody spoke to me. So you had no contact with Peter after that day. Nothing. Wow. I didn't realize you never spoke again. I mean, I've been told, and you probably can't say this, so I will, that there was like a no contact order put into place that nobody was allowed to speak to him. And he kind of brought it on himself because, of course, he was fighting it tooth and nail. I'm going to sue. I'm going to get my job back or I'm going to take everybody down with me so i was told that because of that they needed to legally protect themselves and nobody was allowed to speak to him which in truth like i don't know if that's true or if that's just an excuse for why nobody reached out to help him when he was so clearly drowning himself after he was off the air never reached out to him and it's one of the it's one of the things that I will go to my grave regretting because there was a moment where a listener had messaged me saying that he was at this store that he went to all the time and they said like he's not he's not doing well and again I remember thinking like oh my god like if he's outwardly letting that show he's really not doing well wow I, and i think it actually broke i think it cut up for one second he was at a liquor store is that he frequented yeah. and a listener like worked there okay yeah the, the listener worked there and he had frequented it and he said like he's just i know that you cared about him a lot he's like i just i think you should reach out And I never did. And again, 
at that space, had I reached out, I would have gotten nothing but anger from him. And I was also scared. <laughs> Whether there's legal things or not within this entertainment industry, there's always like unspoken rules that you just don't. Because as I learned, if they could poof be gone, someone like him, what would they do to me? And granted, I don't condone certain things that happen no matter how much I loved him. Uh, I might get in trouble for this one, but you know what? If I could somewhat teleport back to that moment in La La Land, I might have stepped in and done that shit myself for him. Hmm. You know, I just wish that there was some sort of like I don't know, like think about it this way, positions of power in terms of politics, in terms of being a cop, because my husband's one of them. Oh, yeah. You have to go through all of these background checks. You have to go through months of training. You have to be this certain person. Like, granted, there's corruption everywhere. I get it. So I'm not trying to get added for that comment. But if you think about how much power and influence people in this industry have, and you can do or be whatever the fuck you want. And there's so many people behind those mics now that if people only knew. They will get their karma. Yeah, I was going to say. One thing I've learned through this life is as unfair as it desperately feels in the moment, it does come back eventually. Oh, okay, you guys. Well, that was just part one. Part two airs tomorrow and we're going to get even further into things and I get even more real than I ever have. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. And if you want to watch, please make sure you do that at Ms. Pink Monster on YouTube. Um, and also please make sure you're subscribing to the Sarah Fraser show podcast. And also if you would, the really rally podcast, if you haven't already love you guys, I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's really Riley.